All right, guys, this is uh, Bill Farrell from uh, Rock Bottom to Recovery, and uh, our podcast today is um, Matt Dobschutz from Porn Free Radio. Um, Matt's been uh, doing a podcast on uh, porn addiction for uh, four years. He uh, lives in Chicago. And uh, one of the things, uh, Matt, that we wanted to, uh, when we started this podcast and we started talking about recovery, uh, even more as we started to educate ourselves and understand addiction and, and um, how addiction uh, affects the brain and all those things. One of the things that me and Shane, the, uh, the, he's not with us today, but one of the topics we wanted to talk about was pornography. Um, so I started to educate myself um, in pornography, and, um, and then I came across your website. Um, which um, I've listened to, and I uh, it's it's uh, absolutely amazing. So um, at first, because first of all, I didn't even realize that it could be an addiction, and um, I have to tell you this. So last night we had a um, we had a Hober Cares Coalition, which is what I belong to, and um, it was a meeting, and I told them that I you know they asked what what are we doing this um what are the upcoming events that we have going on so i mentioned the rock bottom to recovery podcast um that we are doing today with you and it was about pornography <laughs> and the guy behind me thought that was the funniest thing ever he could not stop laughing for like 10 minutes <laughs> and the other people in the room were getting a little bit uncomfortable um like they thought he was being rude but he wasn't he was just for whatever reason, whatever was going on in his mind, for that 10 minutes, he was thoroughly entertained that our, our topic today was going to be on uh, pornography and addiction. So um, if you're just tuning in, which we actually have now, we're creating our audience. Uh, I have Matt Dobschutz. He's out of Chicago. He has a podcast called Porn Free Radio, um, and he's based out of Chicago, and uh, Matt's been doing this podcast for four years. So, Matt, why don't you tell us how um, you got you started this uh, podcast and, and made your experience with pornography and how it affected you, and we'll start there. Well, I definitely have had the experience of telling someone about pornography or addiction or talking about my recovery and having a similar reaction. People, for whatever reason with this, they sometimes they won't take it seriously. Like they'll think, oh, well, you know, it's just something people do or it's just sort of for fun. It would be like saying, um, you know, I'm addicted to watching a uh, Hallmark Channel movies or something. It's like, you know, it's like it doesn't people don't take it seriously. But for me, it was really life defining. I, um, you know, I grew up and I uh, I discovered porn at, at a young age. Most kids uh, discover it, you know, before, you know, 12 years old. I discovered it at eight. And uh, my young brain was not uh, prepared for adult sexuality that I saw in pornography. I just, it like lit me up. Like I totally kind of bonded with some of those images that I saw early on. I wanted more of it. And I, you know, by the time I became a teenager, I was compulsively looking for it, stealing it. Um, I, I had a moral dilemma. I was a Christian kid growing up. And so I knew there was a piece of it that was wrong or it didn't work with my value system. But I was just obsessed with looking for it and finding it. And uh, by the time I got to college, you know, I was renting movies and buying buying magazines, things like that. And then the internet came along, and uh, I was I was just hooked. And I thought maybe when I got married, it would get better. But I was still hiding it. Um, I was uh, thinking about it a lot, thinking about the next time I could look at it. And um, it wasn't until a couple years in marriage that my wife caught me uh, downloading porn. And this was a big surprise to her. She didn't know uh, she didn't know that I had been hiding this from her and didn't know the extent of it. And I kind of came clean and told her, like, yeah, this has been like something I've been doing for a long time. I try to quit. I can't uh, I can't quit. Um, or I haven't been able to quit on my own. And uh, that was kind of the beginning for me. Um, that was way back in 2001. And uh, I didn't call it an addiction back then. Um, I mean, I, I, there wasn't a lot of books about it. 
Um, but the two, here's the two things I knew. When I looked at pornography, I wanted more of it. Yeah. I, 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 it just created craving. The moment I started engaging with it, I wanted more. And I wasn't able to stop. Like, I just, you know, maybe other guys could take it and leave it. I couldn't stop it. Uh, it's like, it's like, uh, you know, the, you know, I read the big book of AA and it's like, uh, you know, I read those stories and it's like, that's what I felt like, you know, I felt like the guy who went out for a drive and, uh, decided to order some whiskey with lunch. And the next thing you know, it was a bender. That's kind of how it was for me. I, one little, one little, uh, web search, one little, uh, you know, staying up late on watching something on TV would just set me off. And, um, so, so I never really called it an addiction until years after I kind of started doing recovery work that I was like, well, you know, gosh, it sure seems like I was addicted and it sure seems like I was struggling. And, and the people who I was getting help from were people who took it seriously. So, so Matt, like, so when back in 2001, that's, that's, that's a long time ago. Uh, yeah. that you that you recognize that and like i like i'm just kind of realizing it myself now uh probably just because um we're educating ourselves on addiction and um with the Hobart Cares coalition that i belong to so when we originally started we were really focused on the opiate um addiction because it was i mean there's no doubt about it it's affecting us uh, um all over the country but what we learned in the beginning, and it's been about four years now, was that um, in order to tackle that, we had to learn about addiction in general. And, and that's where um, we started to realize um, it started with, um, you know, there's a lot of factors to addiction. It's hereditary. It's, um, uh, it starts with cigarettes, marijuana, alcohol. You begin to create these routines, these habits, and one thing leads to another. Um, so you you started to realize that in 2001 that there this was like an addiction. How did you did you know anything about addiction back in 2001? What made you begin to realize? Listen, this is falling in line with, you know, say like a drug addiction. You know, my my wife was the one who who helped me kind of see it uh, when she caught me. You know, we had this long conversation where I tried to explain my relationship with pornography and some of the stuff I had been doing and. Um, I felt a lot of shame, a lot of, um, uh, I mean, I felt bad about what I had been doing. I felt bad about the lying and, um, and some of the content that I had consumed. And, and, uh, she said, you know, she had kind of this moment of grace where she just said, I know this isn't about me, but you need help. And I was like, you're right. I need help. So, <laughs> that was like the first step is like, I, I went, man, I cannot get over this on my own. Uh, and I, and even when I was talking to my wife, I just said, you know, I can't be honest about this. I can't, uh, uh, I, I have this weakness and I cannot keep, I, you know, I keep going to it. So uh, I went to a recovery group. I found a group that I could go to uh, it was a Christian recovery group for a lot of different things. Uh, sexuality was part of it. And um, so I just, I went to the group and committed to the group. And that's where I started, you know, getting some perspective, you know, about what was going on with me, both from a, you know, I don't know if I I looked at it as a, as like a chemical addiction, but I looked at it as definitely like, um, this was a way that I tried to get comfort uh, this is the way I try to deal with uh, uncomfortable feelings in my life. This was an escape for me. Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, I started getting some clarity about what that was. So in that uh, recovery group, there was obviously um, other um, people struggling with some type of an addiction in that particular group. So what was it, just a general kind of recovery group? Yeah, it was, it was like a Christian discipleship group. So they focused on, you know, uh, um, dealing with, you know, your sexuality, dealing with uh, some, you know, you had to sign a pledge to not drink during being in the group. Um, they didn't want you, they didn't want you exchanging one addiction for another. Um, and so it was kind of holistic. And, and I just bought in, I was like, I, I need as much help as I can get. And so I came honest every week. And, um, 
you know, if I had a slip or if I was struggling, I would check in there. And um, so it's just, it was, and there weren't, a, there weren't guys struggling with, from what I remember, there weren't guys struggling with porn addiction back then. Back then, you know, people were struggling with sex addiction and some other stuff. Uh, but I, I felt like this is the right place for me because this is how serious I took it. Right. I just think it's amazing that you recognize that so far back, 2001. Well, you know, it's funny. When I was a kid, even, I remember I remember trying to buy a book on sexuality because I was like, what is wrong with me? Like, why am I so... Uh, uh, you know, back, you know, I grew up in the church and so we always defined it as lust. But I go, man, I, uh, this seems more than just lust for me. Like, I'm like dependent on this. Yeah. And so uh, I was reading about lust. I tried to figure out things about it, but I, I, I realized, I think what I didn't know was it wasn't just about lust for me. It was about, um, it was about, taking a spiritual and emotional need in my life and substituting it with the physical thing. That's where, you know, that's my definition of addiction is, uh, you know, you have an emotional or spiritual need and you try to meet it with this, this physical thing. And that's, that's what I was doing. I was substituting uh, porn and porn behaviors and masturbation for, you know, to deal with these uncomfortable feelings in my life or to escape uh, things I didn't want to feel like I, you know, I grew up feeling kind of unlovable. And so I never wanted to feel that way. And so I was always attracted to porn because porn was always giving me that message that I was good enough or um, that I was acceptable or, or whatever. So there was just that, that piece of me that was always wanting uh, to fill that need. Right. And, you know, you, you mentioned um, uh, uh, people, um, go into things because it makes them feel good. And that kind of falls in line with addiction. I've, um, I was, uh, as we were talking earlier, I was reading this book called, uh, the porn myth by Matt Frad. And, um, it is exposing the realities behind the fantasies of pornography. And one of the things in the back of the book that I would, I had highlighted was that addiction is a dysfunction of the reward centers of the brain. And, and, and that kind of covers, um, a lot of different things, whether it's food, um, obviously sex, um, drugs, alcohol, even working out because the brain reacts a certain way. Um, it re, um, as it says here, the addiction does occurs uh, when the pleasure reward pathways are hijacked by certain euphoria, including activities such as eating, taking drugs, and having sex. Um, and, and those euphoria type um, happenings in the brain um, become addictive. And, and it's just funny because I, I remember like watching the news um, a while back and, and listening to people, you know, uh, politicians who got themselves jammed up going to recovery for uh, sex addiction or, and I always just thought, ah, oh, that's a joke. That's so funny. Who doesn't have a sex addiction? Everybody's got a sex addiction because everybody enjoys it and stuff. Uh, for me, with that that book that I was reading was that it, it can be, um, well, it is an addictive behavior that literally takes over your life, just like alcohol, drugs, uh, food. It consumes you. Uh, it takes precedent over the other things in your life. Um, so it's it's funny that you mentioned that a few minutes ago about the um, – you mentioned addiction and kind of made me think of that, but yeah. Well, you you know, what's interesting about it, Bill, I was thinking about this today. You know, if you're an alcoholic and you're, you're binging, um, and you, you know, you, there's a good chance you might wrap your car around a, a telephone pole. Uh, if you're a gambler, uh, you might uh, get your car repoed. Um, if you're a drug addict, you might miss work. Um, if you, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things, you know, if you're, if you overeat, you know, you gain weight. It, it, there's, there's these things that was sort of where we wear our addictions. The one thing that kills me about this one is it isn't taken seriously sometimes by people. And it's, it's something that people try to hide and, and can hide pretty well sometimes. Um, 
people don't know what's going on in your mind. People don't know uh, what are the things you're looking at on your phone at night in bed, that type of thing. And uh, But the thing is, is it hijacks your life. Um, you start to feel like a piece of crap on the inside. Uh, you feel, you know, the guys I work with and, and the guys who listen to my podcast talk about, you know, feeling like a hypocrite. Um, you know, they're, it's, it's stealing their focus. You know, they want to be present with their wife and kids, but they're thinking about the next time they can get on their computer or get alone in their office. Um, it starts to take over their life and it starts to control them. And, and deep down, you know, whether you're a, a, a person of faith or, or an agnostic, people do not like to be controlled by something. And this thing can, can really get in there and start to try to control you. And then you're, and that's when you need tools, you know, you need, you need help and you need support. And I think, um, you know, it seems to me like it's more and more as time has gone on. Um, and, and again, if you just tuning in, uh, we're actually live on Facebook. Um, you can watch us live, but we're also rock bottom to recovery, uh, podcast is on iTunes and, uh, Podbean, So you can look up our past episodes, but, um, you know, I mean, like Matt was just Matt started back in 2001. He realized that uh, that he might have an addiction to pornography. Um, I think now a little bit more and more, it's really coming to light. And I I um I was out. I I did a show. If people don't know, I do stand up comedy. And I was out and I was um, talking to another comedian who who ran. Uh, Ran into a girl that he knew from high school and had worked in the city, and, and he hadn't seen her in a little while, and he had asked her, you know, uh, what's up? How you been? She's like, oh, you know, I'm exhausted. And he goes, why? What's going on? She goes, I was watching porn all day. I think I have a problem. And they kind of chuckled about it. But it, when I when he told me that, I was just thinking, no, like, that's literally uh, a problem, and it just seems more and more to me how much uh, of a problem it ha- it has become, and and I think uh, it's even worse now for this next generation coming up because you know it's so readily available. Like I mean, it's on your phone, it's on the computer, uh, it's everywhere. And um, I mean, you've been you you've had a podcast now for four years. What what have you uh, the people that you've had on, Matt? Your guest speakers, men and women. Uh, you have both, I'm assuming, correct? that come on and talk yeah, and both have experienced um, uh, some type of an addiction. Yeah. I mean, uh, my podcast, uh, the, um, the catchphrase or the, the, the slogan is, you know, it's for motivated guys who want to quit looking at porn. So there's guys who tune in every day who really want to let go of this, whether they define it as a bad habit or an addiction or a compulsion, or they're not happy with it morally, whatever it is, um, they uh, they want to let go of it. And um, there's women who listen too. There's partners and wives of, of guys who are struggling. There's women who struggle, who listen. And, um, you know, and they've, they all, uh, most of them, ex- you know, somehow experienced it as kids. You know, that's one of the things you mentioned, the porn myth with Matt Friday. I know he's a big a uh, proponent of, of trying to help um, families develop safe ways of, of protecting kids. Because, you know, when a young girl or a young boy sees adult porn, especially in now today's day and age where you can see anything on your phone or you can be on the bus and someone can show you something, um, you know, we don't know the effect that it has. Um, I know for me, it changed my life seeing porn at a young age. It it immediately created this this appetite for something that I had never knew existed. And um, so I don't know what the long term effect is of early exposure to porn for kids and what it's going to affect the next generation. Um, but I do know I'm working with a lot of 23 year olds who have had broadband internet in their house um, or an iPhone for 10 years yeah, um, and um, and or 14 years. I think broadband came out in uh, 20, uh, 2004. So it's like, you know, we have people who are 10 years old 
when when their family got broadband internet. And um, so they've been watching videos and all sorts of things uh, for 10 years, and they're having a hard time. You know, there, there's been a lot of talk about young guys having erectile dysfunction and other uh, sexual dysfunctions um, because they can't get aroused by being with a partner anymore. And uh, I, I saw that in, in my, um, uh, when I was struggling, you know, with uh, using porn a lot, I was having trouble keeping erections and being aroused and definitely had those effects. And I think it's even worse now for guys. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you can't masturbate for four hours a day and then, you know, to, to all this sort of overstimulated porn where you're looking at, you know, thousands of, of orgasm clips in a row, you can't then turn that off and then just be present with one partner. It's really difficult um, to go from that kind of extreme to the, the next. So it's it's definitely having an effect um on guys, the way that they have sec their sexuality and um, the way they approach relationships. I've had a lot of guys who are really hopeless about dating because they, they kind of feel like they're a real mess. Like, how could they get into a relationship with a woman? They can't even go, you know, a week without masturbating to their phone. And these are young guys, correct? Yeah, and it goes up too. I've I've worked with guys up to 74, 75. Wow. Um, you know, and and you know what they're looking at, Bill? They're looking at their their kind of their legacy. They're thinking, I don't want to go out of I don't want to go out like this. Yeah. You know, addicted to porn. I I you know, I've I've had guys who have adult children and they're like they look at their sons or their grandchildren and they're like, "Man, I don't want to be this dirty old man." You know, I don't want to be this guy who is, you know, sitting in his office with his sweatpants around his ankles at 75 years old. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, and, and so they're, they're just looking at their life. They're like, this isn't who I feel I'm called to be. Like, I, I, I want to be the man that the people see, you know, I want to be the dad that they think they have, you know, I want to be the grandfather who's, um, you know, a good guy and holistic and, and isn't mastered by this. Well, you know, um, I think it was in this, this book that I was reading that um, the other part of the, the whole pornography addiction is, uh, as you know, and I, you might have mentioned this earlier, like you're watching a particular pornography and after a little while, it doesn't do it for you anymore. So you kind of have to up the ante. Have you found that to be true in, in your experience? Yeah, absolutely. For me, there was a lot of um, the endless novelty of porn was what made it exciting. I mean, I, uh, I I felt like the hunt was just as exciting as as finding porn. So, like, I was always looking for something new and different, and uh, I would get bored of things. And um, and I've seen that a lot with guys that I work with. They um, escalate with different fetishes or more violent forms of porn. Um, guys struggle with getting towards what would be, um, you know, underage porn. You know, there's a, you know, one of the most popular genres is sort of the, uh, you know, the teen genre or the, um, you know, barely 18 genre, that type of thing. And, and that's just um, a real recipe for disaster when you start escalating with, with potentially, um, you know, teenage porn or underage porn, then it's like, I mean, that's where guys are getting arrested. Right. Um, I don't think I, a lot, I mean, there's pedophiles out there, but I know that I know for a fact, there's guys that started escalating with porn and got into some dangerous activity uh, with pornography and are in jail now because they're, they let the, um, their arousal, uh, make their decisions. And, you know, there was a, a great study. Um, I think it was an MIT study uh, by, uh, I think his name was Dan, Dan, why can't I think it was named Dan Arity. Er, um, they did a study of, of um, college men and um, their arousal. And basically they, they found a correlation between when men are aroused um, they're more open to take bigger risks and they're more open to wider, different types of pornography and things like that. 
Um, so what happens is if guys are um, masturbating and searching around on the internet, all of a sudden they're creating an arousal state, which is like an impaired state, like impaired driving. They start um, making bad decisions. Like they can click on things that they wouldn't normally click on. They can be open to things that they wouldn't normally be open to. Um, there's all sorts of things that happen when we're in an aroused state where we are not thinking straightly, straight or, or where we're not focused. And, you know, um, and that falls right into the line of addiction anyway. So, like, you know, eat, like people that smoke cigarettes or drink alcohol, after a little while, you tend to get um, used to it. So you need a little bit more and then a little bit more. And then before you know it, you're kind of in the throes of the addiction. And um, that's usually when you find out that you're addicted to something. But, I mean, that it's it's I've done a lot of reading on it, and uh, it's the same thing, too, like um, – the violence um, towards women, the objectification towards women, um, you know, they just become an object of, I don't know, whatever, lust or something. And, and you tend to forget about that, that it's a real human being. Plus, I think um, what I've been reading is that we're created to, to be in a relationship with another human being. And, and this totally disrupts that relationship. And we know that because young um, males um, can't get aroused with their girlfriends or their wives, but they can certainly get aroused through uh, watching pornography. So, you, I mean, just on that alone has to tell you that something's not right. Something's not right here. Um, and, you know, <clears throat> and it has to be a huge, huge issue because the pornography industry is a billion-dollar industry. Um, and it's not a billion-dollar industry um, if people aren't watching it, correct? Right. Definitely people watch it. Um, you know, uh, it's kind of funny you're, you mentioned being in comedy and, and uh, you know, the big news uh, The big news this last uh, month or two ago was um, Chris Rock's new special. He talks about how he's addicted to pornography and how it affected his divorce his, and— um, how it really messed up his relationship. And he kind of jokes about it a little bit, but um, but it sure sounded serious, even in the in the comedy special as he talked about it, um, that he really saw it as having a detrimental effect to his relationship and his ability um, to be present with his his uh, wife and and even the way it affected his thinking and things like that. So. You know, I mean, and, and any comedian knows that, like, there's truth to comedy. So, and, and the reason that it, it's funny is because people will identify. So, obviously, if he's talking about it, there's people in the audience and they're laughing because they can identify with what he's talking about. Um, and, you know, and I think it's great that you can kind of um, make it um, a little bit funny because, you know, laughter is healing. Uh, but the fact that he's bringing it to light um, – as a serious, it is a very serious issue, and I think that's kind of cool that he's talking about that. Obviously, he's making a joke, so it, it would present the opportunity to address that at a at a later date if anybody wanted to address it. It seems like one of those topics that people don't really tend to touch or address. Uh, that maybe touch is not the right word. Uh, it's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's right a, there. Uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's interesting. He. Uh, um, yeah, he's talked about it before. Like, it's not like it, it, I think people were surprised it got into his special. But I remember seeing an interview with him probably three years ago with, um, uh, boy, I can't remember his name, um, another another comedian. Um, and uh, they were just having one of these longer form interviews, and he just talked openly about it. Yeah. Um, and I, I know Mark Marin has talked about his struggle with pornography and how it messed him up. Um, you know, and I've heard, um, uh, you know, Terry Crews on Brooklyn nine, nine talked about it, yeah. about how he had a big struggle with it. So there's, there's some guys out there, um, who have gotten more honest about how it affected them. And, uh, and I think that's going to be important, especially for this younger generation. Uh, I don't think it's worse. I think, I think pornography has always been there. Uh, people have found it. People have always been addicted to it. Um, but I think um, we need to be clearer, uh, you know, about allowing people to to really um, 
um, to recover and to get help when they identify this as a problem. And, and um, so talking about it, I think, is really important um, in case there's someone out there who's kind of suffering with it and really struggling. Well, I think there's a lot more people out there suffering with it, men and women. Uh, one of the things in the book, um, The Porn Myth by Matt Farad, which I thought was interesting, was a, uh, it was actually a woman who, um, same thing, grew up on pornography, um, got married, and thought, oh, the, the porn will end. And it didn't. As a matter of fact, she, she was saying in the book that it, it get to a point where she could no longer um, be with her husband. She would actually have to go into the bathroom, put on the computer, watch some pornography, and get herself ready in order to be with her husband. So it totally affected the relationship. And I think... Um, I, I mean, I remember I remember rolling over... And, you know, I think I had a BlackBerry or something and just pulling up an image, like a quick hit right before um, an encounter with a, or intimacy, you know? Yeah. And uh, I, I totally know what that was like. Um, I mean, there, there's a sad thing is, is, you know, there was a part early on in my recovery where, you know, if I were honest, I wanted to go to porn over um, my partner and... Um, you know, and that's not the case now. Part of the recovery and the healing has been sort of reorientating my my sexuality and my connection and my intimacy, and it's 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 together. But in those early days, it was very much I wanted the I wanted that object, um, I wanted that physical thing, and the emotional intimacy and other things that are required in a relationship. Uh, boy, just were too much for me. Yeah. You know, I was scared by real intimacy. Um, so, Matt, how did you um, get past that? So, like, what did you end up doing that um, you were able to originally, as time went on, been able to put the object aside and focus more on the wife and the intimate part of that relationship, which obviously trust, um, all those key things that really strengthen a relationship. Can you talk to us about that a little bit, how you were able to accomplish that? Yeah, a couple of big, big things in my recovery were one, going to that group and not being alone, sort of admitting the problem, um, becoming aware of how it affected me. Um, early on, also, I, I made some really clear boundaries in my house, um, getting rid of all of the, the sources where I could get to porn, eliminating uh, any weak links in my home environment. So my home environment became the safest place in my life. Um, I couldn't get access to the internet. Uh, we had um, channel locks on the TVs, and uh, I didn't have access to any uh, porn or porn-related activities at home. Uh, and so uh, those two things kind of worked together to get some early sobriety. I had some support from a group, and then I had no access, you know. And uh, one, one challenge I see with guys these days is um, – you know, they have all these devices in their house and all these ways to act out, and they don't really take any precautions to limit them or uh, eliminate them from their lives. And it's, it's, I mean, it's on par with, um, you know, an alcoholic having a case of beer in the fridge. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, yeah, you're pretty strong most of the time, but one of these days you're going to go in that fridge and go, man, that beer looks pretty good. And, um, uh, you know, so uh, those two things really helped. What happened th that was the, the real breakthrough for me, though, was um, I was looking around at this group I was going to, and I was like, man, there should be something in my church for this. And I thought, well, maybe I'll start a group. And I started a group and um, ran the group for 12 years. And... Um, and that really took my recovery to another level. I was helping others now, doing service. And um, and I wasn't perfect. I still had some slips and some relapses. But because I was so invested in helping others, I just got more clarity with each uh, relapse. I you know, eliminated behaviors that were causing relapse. I doubled down on my connection and my accountability working with other guys, getting getting support, 
Um, and I started getting some help with some of the deeper issues. You know, I started having breakthroughs with, you know, feeling good enough. Some of the things that happened in my early childhood, um, I went to therapy, um, and, um, yeah, and I, I got more specific about things. Like when I tra when I traveled, I realized there was a lot of there was a lot of vulnerability when I traveled. You know, hotel rooms, yep. um, the anonymity of being in another city; those would be a big trigger for me. Um, so I started writing. I started writing out these written plans whenever I went on a business trip. Um, this is this is what I'm going to do in the hotel room. This is when I'm going to go to bed. Um, this is who I'm going to check in with. I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning. I would come up with these things and I'd write them into a plan. And uh, I remember I shared on my podcast, my I think it was my fifth podcast, I shared about this and I told guys about how to write out a travel plan. Guys started emailing me going, man, this really helped. Uh, I started going, I went on a business trip this weekend and I didn't act out because I did the plan. And, um, and this light bulb went off, you know, um, you could write a recovery plan for your life. You know, it doesn't have to just be for your business trip. And so uh, uh, one of my early podcasts, I walked through, hey, what, it would, what would it look like if you wrote out a recovery plan for your life in this area? Um, what would be in it? And uh, I started coming up with what are the commitments that you need to make? What are the things that need to be eliminated? What are some of the threats in your life? Threats are situations where you need tools. And um, so I started basically helping guys create recovery plans. And then, um, uh, you know, I started doing coaching and helping guys one-on-one -on -one and in groups kind of develop these plans. So the plans kind of went from, a, they were first called travel plans. Um, and then they just became basically recovery plans, life plans. And and honestly, that's been a great source of um, help for me even now. I'm still learning things um, about different tools I can use, um, different ways I can deal with obsessive thinking and um, different ways that I can connect with guys. So I'm, I'm getting a lot of I'm learning a lot from my own community, uh, this this uh, recovery community that that's sprouted around my podcast. And you still have a very uh, strong support network too, correct? Yeah, I do. Although I have to say, I don't have a huge support network. I, I have a, a guy who's been kind of a mentor in my life, a guy who has more sobriety than me. Uh, my wife has been really instrumental. Uh, I have a couple of people in my life who know all my stuff. Um, my family knows about my recovery. Um, you know, and now, now I have the podcast, so I talk about my stuff all the time. Um, no, but everybody knows. But I, right. But I have a pretty, but I, I'd say, you know, some of the guys that I work with have bigger support systems than I had. Um, you know, if I, I mean, I have groups, all my groups have six guys in it each. So they have five other guys they can call and text every day. Uh, I did not have that when I first got in recovery. I did not have five good guys I could reach out to. Um, so some of the guys in my community have actually better support than I had, uh, you know, when I first got into this. So, Well, it sounds like when you were speaking earlier, it sounded like you were just kind of, this was like a, um, this was, it wasn't really talked about and you were kind of flying solo um, and learning as you go, correct? Yeah, definitely. Uh, there, it, even now, you know, um, it's kind of hit or miss. You know, if you're an alcoholic, you can go to an AA meeting. Um, if uh, if you if you struggle with porn, there's some sex addict meetings, but there's five different five different recovery fellowships um, called the S fellowships, and they're all different. And different, um, like and as in different as in like the the sex addiction. So it could be yeah. They no, no, they define sobriety differently. They have a different literature. They it's like splintered for whatever reason. And, um, and then even in SA and some of the sex addicts anonymous groups, you know, if you're just a traditional porn guy, like you just struggle with porn, um, you can feel a little uh, over your head sometimes in some meetings where people are struggling with other things, uh, prostitution and yeah. adultery and other, um, 
you know, more, you know, a, a, you know escalating sex addictions, um, you know, a guy can, can get kind of lost. So one of the things I like to talk about on my podcast is I focus on porn. You know, this is about eliminating porn and porn behaviors from your life. Um, there's there's other resources for sex addicts um, and other books and therapists, but I try to focus on porn because that was my main area of struggle, and that's right part of their life. And you don't need it. Uh, you don't need it as a part of your life. Right. Um, so if people wanted, so people can go to your podcast, can you tell us about, uh, porn free radio, correct? Yeah. Porn free radio is the podcast. It's on iTunes, Google play, all the places that you listen uh, to podcasts. I put out a new podcast every Wednesday. I just put one out, uh, today and, um, the, my website is recoveredman.com. I tried to make it I tried to take porn out of the title just to make it hopefully a little easier to get to. Um, and uh, so recoveredman.com has all the, the podcast archives. And um, and uh, one of the things that might be helpful for your listeners and viewers is uh, every year I put together a video um, to help people make a recovery plan for themselves. And so this year I released it. Uh, in January, and it's called Porn Free This Year. And you can get that at recoveredman.com slash this year, uh, recoveredman.com slash this year. And that's a, a short video training. It's about an hour uh, where I walk through the steps to build a recovery plan, and there's a downloadable worksheet. It's all free. Um, uh, I've had tons of guys go through that. And, um, you know, there's guys that build plans every month. Um, you know, there's a, it's kind of a 30 day plan format. So there's guys that every month sit down and look at this month and go, what am I going to do? And what are some of the things I need to make sure are part of this plan to stay safe? And, uh, what are some new threats that I've identified or what are things I need to eliminate? And, and they, they reset every month, they come up with the, a new plan and commit it to the, to their accountability and to their wives and to their, they're uh, the other guys who are working recovery with them. So guys do it all the time. That's excellent. Um, and, and probably, actually not probably, but a great resource if uh, people are looking. So, Matt, um, we're going to be wrapping this up shortly. I kind of like to keep it to about an hour or so. Dylan, we've been going for about an hour? Oh, we're at 40 minutes? Oh, we're good then. All right. Um Matt, how important was it as far as your wife being on board? Because I'm sure she felt humiliated. She, I mean, there's just so many feelings and emotions that, that come from that when, you know, she finds out that, you know, you were struggling with the pornography. So can you talk a little bit about um, how you were able to build that relationship? Because I, I know a lot of people from what I've been reading – it literally damages the relationship. People get divorced. Um, maybe just talk about that a little bit. So, you know, if somebody's in that situation that they could possibly, um, um, I don't know, obviously seek help, a therapist of some sort. But what was your experience? Well, again, back then we didn't know a lot. There weren't a lot of resources. And so um, the good thing that my wife did early on was she got a lot of support from friends. Um, she didn't go into the cocoon or, you know, go into the cone of silence. She actually went the opposite way. She said, hey, Matt's got this problem and um, it's affecting me this way. And she was identifying how it was affecting her. And um, and that actually was very healing for her. She was able to get support. Um she was able to get affirmed and cared for. And um, so that really helped. Um, nowadays, there's more resources. Partners have, uh, there's therapists who work specifically with, uh, they call it partner trauma, just the what, what the effect is from disclosure, hearing about the addiction, hearing about maybe some of the things their partner has done. Um, there's a lot of... Um, there's really good resources out there to help partners heal. 
And uh, I've had a couple of uh, partner specialists on my podcast, and we we focus on partners once in a while uh, where we answer questions or uh, try to speak specifically to partners. Um, you know, one other thing that helped um, for me or that I identified was I really struggled with lying, you know, like, and that hurt my wife probably more than the porn mm -hmm. and the deception. Right. And so I'd say one of the things that rebuilt trust for my wife and me was like my commitment to honesty. Um, and, um, you know, and that was a tough one that there's no easy road to that. It's almost like you have to just make, make yourself, um, be painfully honest. Um, and, um, you know, and I even, you know, every, every once in a while I'll catch myself, um, telling a white lie about something or, you know, not being honest about something. And then I'll have to go back and say, Hey, uh, when I said, I, you know, I didn't stop anywhere. I actually stopped, uh, you know, and got a sandwich or I, I actually was late because I did this. And even if it's something minor, I, I tell her because I realize that when I start lying, covering, hiding, it's, it's that old, ritual that I used to do when I, when I was in porn and, uh, I can't go back there. Right. Uh, my biggest, uh, motivation for recovery is to be the same on the inside as on the outside. Um, so that, you know, I'm not keeping secrets. I'm not having this double life. Um, because once I start getting into that thinking, it's really easy for me to start going, well, I could read this or watch this and, I don't have to really report about this or, you know, like it's, it, I start playing those game, mind games where I start giving myself permission to, um, or, you know, to, to cross boundaries. Well, it's funny that you say that, Matt, because, um, I always call that, that little voice in your head that just kind of whispers in your ear and says, Hey, you know, um, like you said, you can go look at that. That's not a big deal. You've done this, you've done that. You've worked hard. I, I find right. that a lot in, um, recovery from any addiction. Uh, I talk to a lot of people that relapse and, you know, if you talk to them, they're like, oh, I did really well for a year or two years or three years. And, and if you have a conversation with them, you're like, well, what were you doing in those two years that you did really well? Well, you know, I was working the program. I was, I was doing meetings, whatever it was that was keeping them clean and sober, they were doing. And then after a little while, you know, that, that I always call it the little voice. It says, oh, you worked hard today. You don't need to go to the meeting tonight. You're probably exhausted. You probably want to stay home and relax. And before you know it, you're right back into the throes of addiction from zero to 60 like that. And, you know, I, it just seems like it doesn't matter what the addiction is. Uh, it, there's so many similarities there. And, and that's what it sounds like. You really have to check yourself. You really have to... Uh, uh, like you said, even telling those tiny little white lies, I think more importantly is to recognize those things and then act on it. And, and, and so you probably have a very strong uh, trust with your wife just from doing those simple little things, correct? Yeah. Well, the cool thing is, is the longer that I've gone with sobriety and, and using good tools and keeping the communication open, I've been able to to start to arrest behavior long before it goes over that line. Yep. So one of the reasons that partners are so traumatized early is um, the guy is not really being sober. He's kind of half in the world and half not. Like he's he's kind of going back and forth. And every time there's a a, a betrayal, every time there's he goes back to it, it's it feels like a betrayal what happens, the longer you go in recovery, the, the more communication you have, the ability to, to anticipate threats. You know, I can tell my wife something that's on the horizon. That's a, that's a threat. And she's not, um, uh, she's not uh, triggered by it. You know, she, she realizes, Oh, he's telling me way ahead of it becoming anything. Uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I read a book yesterday. And um, uh, 
the book was a nonfiction book, but at one point it detailed a sexual encounter. And it wasn't particularly graphic, but it was graphic enough. It like, you know, where if you're reading it, your mind's kind of going, oh, I'm thinking of these two people having sex. And there's a little of that. Um, so again, that, that wasn't the purpose of the book. So I read the whole book. Well, that night I realized, last night I realized I was kind of worked up a little bit. I, f- I was feeling more sexual. And I go, wow, this has got to be from the book. You know, it kind of created some craving in me. Yep. And here it is. And um, my wife and I, we weren't able to be intimate last night. She, she, it was a long day. It was late, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, 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 you know, and I realized, crap, I, um, I had some unsound activity today reading that book. I didn't use tools. And now here I am. It's midnight. This is, pro- this is like a problem, you know, cause this is when I would have, gone to the computer or whatever, gone to the TV, done the pattern, done the ritual, masturbated, whatever. And I realized, man, that's not on the table. And um, I kind of white knuckled it, to be honest. Like I, but, but I woke Great up this morning. Great choice of words there, uh, Matt. Great choice <laughs> of words. White knuckled it. <laughs> I did. I was like, no. Uh, <laughs> So I, I gutted it out, went to bed, and, um, you know, but I woke up this morning and I went, you know what? Uh, hey, dummy, you, you read a book, little unsound activity yesterday. You need to use a tool. Otherwise, who knows? This might keep going. Yeah. So I pulled my wife aside. I said, hey, here's what happened. I read this book yesterday. It had this content in it. Uh, last night, you and I, we, you know, whatever, it didn't work out. Uh, and uh, it was tough. I said, I went to bed. It was tough. Um, but I'm telling you now, because I need to use a tool. I need to, I, I need to tell on myself a little bit, no secrets. Yep. Uh, and I need to let, you know, I also need to let, you know, Hey, let's get something on the radar for the next couple of days. Cause yep. I don't want to, I want to focus on having healthy intimacy and not going to elicit, uh, sources, uh, to meet my needs. And, and so, she said, thanks for telling me, you know, whatever, let's, let's make a date, whatever. Perfect. And, and, and that was it. But like, she's not triggered. She's not threatened anymore. Cause it's early. Like I'm telling her ahead of the time. I'm telling her before, before the, the, the three day binge. Um, Matt, I just think it's amazing. Like, I mean, all this time, all this time, and you're still not out of the woods, a simple little um, story in a book obviously triggers something and you know again so you just you're never out of the woods which again it just goes back to addiction you know anybody that's in an addiction knows like i can never pick up a drink i can't touch anything like marijuana or anything along those lines uh because it'll take me right back and so i hey i i had a funny i had a funny thought just the other day i i'm i'm almost let's see i just got over seven years with with pornography. Yeah. And, um, so I, about three or four weeks ago was walking through my house and I work at home and I thought, Matt, maybe you're recovered, you know, like fully recovered, like immune, you know, and, and I didn't think I'm going to try to test it or anything, but I kind of had that thought. I turn on, I turn on Netflix and I put on a family show. We're not talking about, you know, an MA show or whatever, a show yeah. with questions. We're talking about a family show. Yep. And in the first couple of scenes, there's this attractive girl, and she's talking, and actress, women. And uh, part of the plot is about her cleavage. You know, it's about talking about her breasts and this dress that she's wearing. Right. And I'm like in the, the, the bug out zone. Like, I'm just like, you know, like one of those cartoons from the, <laughs> like, Ooh, like, I'm just like, I'm like, like just staring at her breasts. I have one of these huge HD TVs. So they're like and right I, there in front of your face. Right. Right. And what I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> <Thank> uh, and, <laughs> no. and, and I realize I'm like in this fog, almost this trance. And I went, 
Hey, dummy, just a couple minutes ago, you were thinking you were recovered. You turn on a family show and you are locked in, laser scoped on her breasts. (laughs) I turn the show off, not because I'm like that moral or that great. I just turn it off because I'm just like, I I can't handle this. Like, I... And, you know, I just had to let it go. It's kind of like catch and release fishing. It was like, I, I, it's like I brought it in and I was like, nope, you know, can't keep it. Yeah, (laughs) that's funny. It's, that's amazing that it's even, even still like, that's just the power of the addiction. It's the power of the mind and stuff. So, um, well, it's, it's it's a weakness. It's a weakness that I can manage, that I can use tools and I've learned how to use tools and I help other guys. But yeah, that's my thing. You know, that's my that's my uh, shot glass on the bar. That's my you know, whatever my you know. The, the, I, I got a friend who's a gambler, and it's like you know, he's got he gets all worked up over numbers and stuff. And yeah, you know, it, it, it it's that's my thing. Same, uh, just uh, it's a it's the same um, um, form of addiction. There's diff- different triggers for for him that was our topic last week we talked about gambling the addiction yeah, of gambling that's so. a t- oh i i i have empathy for those guys yeah. like i uh i when i when i hear about a guy talking about gambling i'm like oh thank god i don't have a gambling addiction and that's right i think that's right up there with uh pornography we just haven't really it's one of those things it's just it's not really that talked about i mean every as far as gambling goes i mean everywhere you turn there's a casinos there's lottery tickets there's keno there's bingo it's literally in your face uh but i think you know education is the key um and bringing these things to light which is why we started this podcast was um to uh, support the discussion, uh, obviously respectfully sharing the ideas, uh, the inspirations uh, about all forms of recovery, which is why I was thrilled when I found your um, podcast and I, I listened to um, some of the episodes. You have what, uh, probably what, 150, how many episodes do you have, Matt? I just released 151 today, the 151st, yeah. yeah. Wow. So people can go one free radio podcast that you can just google it and it'll come up yep and they can just go on there and they can listen and i i was scrolling through and you just have so many different topics when related to pornography that i just thought was um very amazing and interesting and very informative and so i think as we educate ourselves which is what we're trying to do we can begin to make those um um informed decisions to help us and better ourselves um I, I love the fact that um, you have that um, uh, that recovery. Um, what is the recovery list? Um, I'm actually going to go on and take a look at that. And you know, Matt, what I wanted to do, tell you is that any information that you have, like any links or something that that are really good, um, if you can send those to me, because when we uh, put this video up, I you know I like to put those links. Uh, in the description. So if people are watching the video, they can literally go and they can click on, you know, your your website, Recovered, uh, was it Recovered Man? Yeah, RecoveredMan.com. Recovered Man. So though, any of those links that you have, Matt, send them to me so I can put those right in the description sure. so people can go right to that and get some more information from themselves. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. Before we do, Matt, one last question. Uh, you, you talked about church and everything. I... Um, uh, me and Shane, we, we've discussed in uh, past podcasts the higher power and the importance of a higher power in recovery. We, we found in any recovery that the higher power is uh, has been a huge uh, um, part of the recovery. How big was that for you um, in your recovery, the higher power? Or is there a higher power in your recovery? Yeah, super big. Um, you know... I was reading in Galatians the other day, the book of Galatians in the Bible. It it talks about, um, it it talks about uh, our need for rescue. Like, like it, it literally talks about how, you know, God looked at us and said, these people need rescue. And uh, that's the, the, you know, the idea of the gospel message is that, there's rescue for us. And um, 
And when I look at me in the addiction, lying to my wife, hiding, um, feeling like a piece of crap, uh, living a double life, uh, compulsively controlled by this thing, waking up at night, setting my alarm to wake up at night to look at porn and get on a computer, um, I needed rescue. It wasn't just I needed a couple of habits and I needed a, whatever, a self-help book. I needed rescue. And uh, I really feel like God provided a rescue for me from by my wife catching me, by that group that I ended up in, that first group. Um, you know, and I, I, I've just been running towards that rescue ever since and going, um, and, and, you know, part of the humility of even, a, even going, Hey, this is still a weakness for me is continuing to say, God, I need that rescue. Right. Um, I need to, I need to turn off the Netflix show. I need to tell my wife about the book I read yesterday. I need, I still need the rescue. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and what it says in Galatians, it says we need a rescue from the evil world. And, you know, a lot of guys don't want to make a moral thing or they don't want to talk about evil or this or that. But it's like I know for me that porn and this porn stuff is poison to me. It kills me. And so I need rescue from that evil. It's evil to me. It's not good for me. When I take it, I end up in bad places. And um, so that's the way I see it. God intervened for me. He made a way through people and through uh, my wife and through um, healing to, to, to get out from under the pit of this thing. And, uh, and now my, go- my goal is to help others get out of the same pit. And, um, and I help people who are people of faith and people who aren't of faith. And what I say is, hey, every- they all need rescue. We all need rescue. And and may, and maybe one day they'll equate it with their rescue for that they need from God, that they need a, a deeper spirituality and connection. But for now, I'm going to help them try to get out of the pit right. um, uh, with porn, and uh, we'll see what where they end up. Well, thank you, Matt, so much for coming on and uh, being on this podcast. I, I think it was um, fantastic. It was a great insight. Um and thank you for your honesty um, about what you've experienced and then sharing it with others, like you said, to pull them out of the pit. Um, you know, if anybody's uh, watching, we are uh, Facebook Live right now. You can go to our Facebook page, Rock Bottom to Recovery uh, Podcast, and you can actually watch the video. Um, or you can listen to Rock Bottom to Recovery on Pod, uh, Podbean and iTunes. Uh, we have a bunch of um, uh, um, other uh episodes that you can listen to from um, all different types of recovery. Today's uh, topic was uh, pornography and addiction. Um, I I will plug Matt Frad's book, The Porn Myth, um, which I just thought was very, very uh, educational. Um, If if you're interested, uh, go and check that out, The Porn Myth. Um, It really talks about the mind and addiction and and everything. And I found it to be very informative. Um, Matt, um, you can go to Matt's um, Point Free Radio podcast and listen to all of his episodes. He's got some great episodes there. Um, so we uh, decided that we're going to run this podcast every Wednesday. I had actually asked Matt because he's been doing a podcast for four years, and I asked him what um, advice he could give me, and he said, be consistent. Um, you know, uh, we are going to do this every Wednesday at four 30. Um, Shane, we're hopefully Shane's kind of, uh, taking care of some other things right now. Uh, hopefully he will be back. Um, if you've watched some of the other podcasts, Michael Sullivan, um, uh, joins us from time to time to, um, co-host. Um, but you know, Mike's busy, he has a family. So when Mike can come in, we want Mike to come in. Um, and I, but I always do like to have, a co-host, so I asked Amber Smith. Um, you can go back a few episodes and listen to Amber's uh, story. So Amber's going to join us next week, and she's going to um, co-host uh, with us. And next week we have actually um, Judy McDonough, who's the executive director of the Edwina Martin House. Um, we had um, Judy on last year in April, and she talked about um, the Edwina Martin House, which is one of the state's first recovery homes designed specifically for women because women um, – in recovery, they require a lot more. Um, and so um, when she came on last year, they had just um, 
was talking about the new house that they purchased um, and the upcoming event that they had going on. They were going to purchase the third house, uh, which they've purchased now. Um, so we're going to have Judy back on next week. She's going to talk about the recovery house, women in, in recovery, and what they're planning on doing. And then the following week, one of the things we wanted to discuss about was grandparents raising their grandchildren because of this opiate um, addiction. And that one is huge because there's so many grandparents out there uh, raising their grandchildren. So we're, uh, we're going to delve into that, um, have some grandparents come on, talk about their experiences and how it's affected them, affected their family, more importantly, affected their grandchildren. So um, thank you, everybody, for watching. This is uh, Rock Bottom to Recovery. Um, we will be here every Wednesday at 430 um, you can go to our Facebook page. You can also get resources from the Hober Cares Coalition that meets uh, the next um, Hober Cares Coalition is May 1st. And they're going to have Robin Houston Bean, who is the founder of the Sun Will Rise Grief Support. Um, and she's going to talk about people... Um, that have lost their family members and how to deal with that grief. Um, the other uh, resource that you can tap into is the Holbrook um, Cares um, Drop-In Center, which meets uh, the next time, April 9th, um, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Brookville Baptist Church here in Holbrook. Um, those are all opportunities for you to reach out and get resources. If you're feeling guilt, you're feeling shame for the things that you've done, Bring them to us and let us uh, begin to work on those things because we've all been there. Matt, you've been there, right? The guilt, the shame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and we, definitely. And you're not alone in that. And we want to change that. And we want you guys to come out and reach out for help. So, Matt, thank you so much. We're going to wrap up this uh, this uh, podcast right here. It was a pleasure, sir. Um, we'd love to have you back on and talk about some things that you're going to be doing in the future. And uh, you take care. Okay, sir? Definitely. I'll, I'll come on when I uh, when I have my book. You can yeah. promote my book. Or if you get Matt Frat on, you can you can hold up my book. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, when, when is your book coming out? Are you, when is your book coming out? It's going to come out. It's going to come out this year. Awesome. Uh, and and it, and the focus is going to be recovery. So it's going to be uh, it's going to it's going to be if you bought Matt Frad's book. Yeah. You you can pick up my book, and we're not going to repeat anything. It's going to be all about how to how to step out of the addiction, right? And um, tools and and how to how to the path out. So, right. which is great because Matt really talks about uh, the addiction of pornography, and you really focus on recovery, which exactly. is obviously very important. So, when that book comes out, Matt, you let me know. We'll have you back on, and uh, we'll do this again. All right, sir. Absolutely, Matt. Take care. And, um, hey, stop watching those family movies on Netflix. Those family TV shows. Yeah, I know. With the huge breasts on a 65-inch uh, screen. Exactly. <laughs> All right, exactly. Matt. That's I, I get. You take care. Be safe, sir. All right. Thank you. See ya.